0: Hey, this is your host Shane with another exciting episode of Radical Rocks. Today we'll be talking about the Rio Grande Lost Mine in the Chizos Mountains, strawberry onyx, quicksilver, gold, and so much more. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at radical rocks. There were fossils, and minerals, and rocks and things. There were sand and hills and rings. Radical rocks are everywhere, and today we are going to talk about so many of them, guys. The Chizos Mountains in the Rio Grande area has uh, stories of lost mines and history of quicksilver. We're going to be talking about strawberry onyx. There's also a field trip coming up soon. We're going to talk about igneous rocks, the most popular gemstones. Um, we're going to talk about blue gems, Herkimer diamonds, the Hodge gold mine, and stones that grow, and so much more. We got a jam-packed episode for you guys. I want to thank you. This is episode 195 of Radical Rocks podcast. Over the last four seasons, I want to thank everybody for subscribing to YouTube. Our channel has grown quite a bit. Um, We have almost 1,700 members there. We have over 50 videos, and a lot of them are field trips. There's lapidary tips. There's other interesting things, all rocks, gems, minerals, and maybe a little tiny bit of fossils as well. So let's get right into it without any further ado. I want to start off by talking about the wonderful Rio Grande. The Rio Grande is a beautiful area. This is a huge uh, river that uh, stretches across from Texas all the way on through to uh, Mexico. And uh, you go and you look at the maps and you can, you can see it's uh, kind of a giant V-shaped uh, formation that starts off uh, up at Texas, off the 170 by Colorado Canyon, and uh, continues on down through some very beautiful scenic areas going past the Chizos Mountains, Um, going around an area called uh, Tally. My cat is playing with a screw that I pulled out of my pocket because I didn't want to drop it in the driveway. There's a hot springs area. Um, over by San Vincent Canyon, and then La Linda is where it kind of finishes out at that point. So very neat, interesting area. Um, I picked up a little book at the second-hand store called The Grandios uh, Rio Grande by Walter Burmister, and he talks all about the area, hiking trails, uh, fauna, things like that that you can see. But I was also drawn immediately, let me grab this screw from this cat, driving me crazy here. It's always cats. (laughs) I love them, but boy, they sure are, he sure is into mischief. The Lost Mine Trail in the Chizos Mountains, it tells us here that this is a trail that you can take. It takes you to the crest of the Lost Mine Mountain Spur, And there's beautiful views of Panther Pass, an extensive vista down a natural corridor toward the basin, terminating with the window gap. Now, when you look at all this, it's really a beautiful uh, mountain range that you can see. It's a a a four-and-a-half-mile round trip, well-marked, it says, and routes within the park boundary. And also, the ranger station... Used to have, um, the cat just stepped on the computer, ah. <laughs> used to have uh, some nice information that you could take with you, a booklet, given the specifics on the route, um, facts about topography, fauna, uh, flora, and other related data. So when I read this in this book, it caught my curiosity, well, why is there a lost mine trail up here? What does that have to do with anything? Well, in doing my research, I went to uh, different sites, and at the visitbigbend.com, you can look up quite a bit about the Big Bend um, area. It has a lot of history of lost gold mines. I did find some old news articles that talked about these lost gold mines, and um, the fact is... There really wasn't any gold up around this area to, that I found. But if you go to there there's several mines in here. Maybe some of them are gold. I only dug into it for you know so much time. I could probably spend two hours on it, and I spent 20 minutes at least. But if you go to texashighways.com, you can see Chasing Quicksilver History in Beautiful Big Bend the past and present of Big Ben's mercury mining boom. And Matt Joyce is credited with telling us more about this. They have some wonderful pictures here that uh, are also at the Museum of Big Ben, so you can get a lot of information from there. It's at the Sol Ross State University. But their mountains were magnets for people who wanted to get away from it all, but also people looking for these these rumors of gold and stuff from Spaniards and such. From about 1900 to 1950, the Big Bend region was one of America's top producers of mercury, which is known as quicksilver. It is extracted from cinnabar ore. Um, Also, this stuff can make you go crazy. Uh, There was about a dozen mines operated in the Tellingua Quicksilver District here in this area, um, which includes Presido and Brewster counties. Uh, mining companies dug shafts hundreds of feet deep and lugged out the cinnabar by hand cart and burrow. Furnaces heated the scarlet red rock to release the mercury vapor. I can imagine a lot of people were probably injured um, getting that stuff in their system, man. It make your teeth fall out and your uh, your hair fall out. It's just really, really scary. Um, they turned it into a liquid metal and uh, put it in a, a bottle, uh, cast iron flasks. And the railroad shipped the flask, which would weigh about 75 pounds. A flask of mercury historically weighed 75 pounds. They shipped it around the globe. World War One and World War Two drove the demand for Quicksilver to make ammunition and explosives, as well as thermometers. Um, Today, it's more of a, um, you know, a tourist town, local uh, tourism and culture. Talingra is uh, about eight miles from the border of Big Bend National Park, And uh, there's all sorts of kind of, it's kind of a ghost town from about 1903. The Ciscos Mining Company was there, and industrialist Howard Perry opened the mine after discovering uh, that the land he received as payment just happened to sit on top of rich cinnabar deposits. So uh, pretty neat. Uh, The Ciscos Mine turned out to be the biggest mercury producer in the region, and at times through the 1910s and 1920s, as many as 2,000 people lived in Terlinga, which had a post office, company store, school, dance pavilion. Many residents were Mexican, who had, you know, left to to get out of the way of the the violent Mexican Revolution and uh, oppressive working conditions from Mexican mines. Which I don't know that they found it much better over here with cinnabar. That doesn't sound good. Uh, They made homes of limestone stacked and adobe mortar. Some of these structures still still are there or or partially there. Ruins of crumbling disrepair until recent decades, locals have restored and expanded many of the old homes, which is pretty cool. Um, 93-year-old Marina Bermudza was born and raised here in this area. She's a daughter of Mexican immigrants who married into the mining town, now resident of Alpine, about 80 miles north. She remembers in her childhood um, carrying buckets of water to the family's home, and she remembers the mills and uh, dances and things like that that went on at the time. Um, let's see, there's a little bit more here, maybe... There's trading shop there. They talk about the tourism. The article's quite lengthy if you want to check it out. Um, and it says there is a sign at the Marschill Mine parking lot, trailhead. Brief history of the operation of uh, some of these mines, the Marshall Mine. And uh, from 1906 to 1944... Now lots of uh, La Cholla cactus, the Cholla, very bad stuff. It gets stuck in you and don't come out. It only goes one way. The needles only go one way in. You can't pull them out unless you pull a big chunk of meat out. So be very careful. There's mine ruins, including a crumbling rock furnace, condensers, processing building, tailings piles. So there should, I don't know if you're allowed to pick up minerals there, but I would think, you know, Maybe somewhere on the, uh, around the edges you could, and that would be neat. There's uh, zinc there, silver, and lead. It all started in about 1890 and still operates today uh, at the. What is this mine? It's the summits of the Marshgill Mountain. It is a six mile tramway that's built across the Rio Grande to the present day Big Bend National Park where ore was unloaded by freight, by mule-drawn carts to the railroad. And um, you can get all these stories from uh, the park rangers that are there and other history. Uh, They have directions and phone numbers for people you can call if you want to check that out. They've got a picture going down the shaft of the uh, Wilt Roy mine, steel and concrete, uh, the old rock crusher and hopper and furnace and conveyor belt are are uh, are there, I guess. So you can see them. Some of the buildings from the 1940s are there. And um, that is about it on that. Um, also, let's see. I think I had one other thing here. Here it is. If you go to visitbigben.com, they tell you about this uh, Trelinga mining district. And um, they have several things you could print out, but they say mercury or quicksilver is derived from red-colored ore known as cinnabar. This was used by Native Americans as a durable pigment. I can't imagine putting that on your face would be very good for you. Uh, Many places in Big Bend, there's traces of ancient drawings are found. In the early 1890s, cinnabar was discovered in uh, about and then by 1900, they had refined over 75,000 pounds of the rare liquid mineral or metal. And uh, the Cisco's Mining Company was incorporated in 1903, and by 1918, it was the largest single producer. Mercury is extracted by heating crushed ore to a temperature of approximately 360 degree. The metal is then released as a dense vapor. It is then condensed into the pure liquid form and is recovered and stored in metal flasks. Finding enough fuel for the furnace was a constant problem as all the valuable timber for the mines was quickly exhausted. Low-grade coal deposits were discovered nearby from which miners produced flammable gas containing methane to fuel the process. Transportation was difficult. Material was uh, carried 100 miles to railroad by these mules, um, eight to twelve mules would would pull these carts. The machinery and heavy equipment for uh, this job weighed as much as eighteen hundred pounds, eighteen thousand pounds, and um, the trip could take weeks through the rugged terrain. The first commercial use of automobile in Brewster County took place in 1917. Wagons or mules remained the primary means of heavy transport until the early 1930s. So, wow, they're really behind the curve on that. Um, Although used in many different products and processes, the primary market for mercury was the manufacture of explosives. The fortunes of the Talinga Quicksilver District rose and fell in concert with periods of large-scale warfare Notably, between 1912 and 1921, that's World War I, 1936 and 1944, World War II. Much of the mercury for Europe munitions industry was produced in Spain. When a conflict erupted, normal deliveries of the deposit became extremely valuable economically and strategically. Cisco Mining Company went bankrupt in 1942 um, and ceased permanently in 1944. Most of the structures were dismantled or sold or salvaged. Um, The site was largely unused until 1967 when the world's first chili cook-off was held in the Terlinga ghost town and they still hold that each November. They talk a little bit about how mercury got there um, and they show the igneous fracture in the limestone and uh, hydrothermal solutions that Cut up through the clay layer caps, the lava and ash flows, and then um, how it uh, filled in those areas, uh, according to their estimates many many years ago. So a lot of neat, interesting information on uh, on that. If you want to check that out, next massive megalodon tooth discovered in Chesapeake Bay by a nine-year-old fossil hunter. Harry Baker tells us on Livescience.com all about this. Um, I always get excited when um, a novice makes a discovery, and when it's a kid, it's it's really even neat, you know, pretty cool. This girl here um, has been collecting shark teeth for quite a while. She lives. Um, she did. She found this on uh, on Christmas Day. It said. It's five inches. In her hand, it looks like it's a monster of a tooth. It's five inches is a substantial shark teeth. She's collected uh, over, her name's Molly uh, Sampson. She's collected over 400 shark teeth along the Maryland, Maryland in uh, America, United States of America, Maryland coastland, coastline, rather, and uh, the megalodons are the largest of the teeth that she has, over 13 centimeters long, five inches, found in the shallow water beach at the Calvert Cliff State Park in Maryland Region, Chesapeake Bay. So, it's a state park. I don't know if you're really allowed to take stuff out of a state park, but the article here says that she has it, so I guess it must be okay. All right, a little swig of coffee there, if you will indulge me. You know these podcasts are first time, first take. So, anything could happen... And anything usually does. So thanks for bearing with me on that. All right, next. This is a awesome fossil discovery in Colorado. Um, Each bone was over three feet long and belonged to a large bodied uh, seropod herbivore dinosaur. They believe that these bones all are the same animal. You can go to the number nine news.com and look this up. And um, they've got some pictures. They've got video here. It is a nice dino. Janet Oravetez, O-R-A-V-E-T-Z, tells us all about it. Um, She said that they were uh, walking around in Colorado and uh, at Canyon City, hiking around and stumbled along some dinosaur fossils that had been potentially hidden for Many many years, um, and probably a lot of people walked by and just didn't recognize it. But or maybe it wasn't uncovered enough. And you know, right after the right rainstorm and the right time, um, there it is. And you can see pictures of these. These are large bones. Um, they report it to the BLM, and then they send in the paleontologist. He said, "Yeah, this this is awesome." And um, so now they are. Uh, going to carefully dig it and put it into casts uh, so it doesn't crumble apart. They have already done that. They found a tibia, a fibula, a couple bones there. They say it was a large seropod, and uh, they still haven't identified exactly what kind it is, but uh, they said it's intact. They believe they both belong, these bones, these two or three bones belong to the same animal. They are even orientated in the way as if the animal was still alive. So maybe there's some more. Um, hopefully they can dig that up and find out. They're transporting to the Royal Gorge Museum for proper prepper, uh, pre- uh, preparation to preserve it. And uh, then um, they, the Museum of History Center has granted full fossil reveal planned then they will be able to tell us hopefully what it is by then or at least give a good educated guess of what it is. I'm sure they can um, because they've got other bones like that. So that is really neat. Next, we have... From gemstones to the big tent, Quartzite, Arizona in the United States is an RV destination 11 months out of the year. At RoadTrippers.com, you can find out about a lot of these activities. Quartzite for the U.S. resident, for Canadian residents, uh, for a lot of Mexican people, from South American people. I have met people from Africa. I have met people from, uh, that travel here to and from Pakistan, uh, other Middle Eastern countries. This is the Mecca for rockhounds. Um, No disrespect intended, but this is their destination, their go-to place. Um, I would go every year. I have not gone in a couple years, but uh, I used to, and it is a blast. There's great rock and gym shows there. Um, You might want to check out this article about Quartzsite, Arizona. A friend of mine is going. There's several rock trips Rock hounding trips that are planned in the local washes and mountains and the surrounding hills and areas, so you can be a part of that. They're guided. Um, they're sponsored by many of the gem and mineral clubs. So just look up uh, quartz uh, quartzite, look up the powwow, look up the Desert Gold Craft Show, look up Tyson Wells Rock and Gem Show, and you will find out about these shows. They all start this month. They're going on right now. Um, exciting, exciting place to be. So um, don't miss it if you're a resident or uh, if you can make that a destination. Sweden discovers the largest known rare earth mineral deposit in Europe. Now, I scour uh, every day, at least once, sometimes twice, scour through all sorts of information to find something that's interesting and I get a lot of um, press releases I get hundreds and hundreds of press releases every single week and a lot of them are you know just people trying to uh, you know pump their stocks or pump their shares um, so I don't usually read a lot of them in depth because of that but this was interesting usually it has to be something interesting Zach uh Bud Reich or Dreik, Bud Reich. Zach Bud tells us at The Hill at TheHill.com Sweden discovers the largest known rare earth mineral deposit in Europe. Though um, there's tons of information coming out about this, this is a big deal because we know that China holds the majority of the um, rare earths and minerals needed for vehicle components. For this new green deal, this new green energy um, that we are going into, like it or not, that's what's happening. And um, it's good to to be abreast to what's happening. So I thought it was uh, good news because uh, they have found a million metric tons of rare earth oxides. And uh, according to this article, it is the largest known deposit of rare earth elements um, in our part of the world and could become a significant building block to produce the critical raw minerals that are absolutely critical to enable the green transition. Also, the other thing that's a problem with the Green uh, New Deal and the green energy, all this stuff, is there just simply isn't enough minerals that are accessible to make, say, creating all vehicles turning to um, uh, battery-operated. Uh, by, by 2030, is it possible? In fact, uh, I was listening to one of the world's leading uh, investors of uh, mines and minerals around the world. He, he, he is a big part of the biggest mining company in the world. He knows the facts, okay? Um, he's totally for green energy. He's all about it. But he says it simply is not enough there to make this happen. Not only by 2030, he said that you know to to get the world or at least the major countries of the world that are you know uh, like Western the Western world and and Europe to get even them to be all on electric. Um, there's so many problems we can't even achieve it by uh, 2050 and under known technologies. He says that there is some great technologies that are being explored. He believed that uh, um, using geothermal uh, uh, around hot spots in the earth was probably the best way to fast track to green energy. That was his opinion in the article that uh, I had listened to. Um, but he said the metals and stuff, even though he's a huge investor in metals, he says we just don't have it. But a lot of companies are coming out and they're looking and researching. Um, this is really good news because this is a complete new deposit that uh, has been discovered, and um, they said uh, it will be at least 10 to 15 years before they can actually begin mining and deliver raw materials to the market. But, again, like I said, this realistically isn't gonna happen by 2030. Um, it just We don't have the electrical grid, we don't have the minerals, None of this stuff is is existing. So I don't know, you know, it's just they're facts. I don't know what to tell you. Um, certainly we could reduce our dependency. I think natural gas, since we're on that subject, is a wonderful way to go. It burns like 90 plus percent clean. We could convert our gasoline engines to run on natural gas very quickly in major areas like California, New York, around major city hubs and things like that. Um, and get off off of uh, fossil fuel burning, where it's much more dirty. Where the uh, natural gas is much more clean. In fact, uh, fuel cells. I've been involved in several fuel cell projects um, in California, where we use fuel cells to generate power. Um, it Bloom. I think. What I think it was Bloom Energy is real big in that, and other companies as well. So. There's a lot of other options, so... But anyway, so that I thought was good news no matter whether you were, you know, a rock uh, lover or, um, you know, into the environment and what's going on and how are we going to achieve all these goals that are being set uh, before us. Exploring the differences between rocks and minerals. um, I think I want to wait on that one. Let's talk about identifying rocks and minerals with pictures. A comprehensive guide... Um, Yeah, maybe it is a guide. Happy Sharer is attributed to this article that you can look up at uh, lihpao.com and just look up identifying rocks and minerals with pictures, a comprehensive guide. What I took out of this information is that yes, if you have a great field guide, it can be very helpful. Um, It can help you determine age of rocks or or what type of rocks, not the age. Um, Doesn't guarantee you're going to have it nailed. Doesn't guarantee you're going to have the exact um, type of rock because there's a lot of things you need. Um, Can you tell the color from the rock? Yes. Does color tell you everything? Eh, It can help. Texture. Can a picture show you texture? Yes, it can show some texture. But uh, you know, some of the texture needs to be analyzed by uh, fracturing the rock, so you can see how it breaks. Hardness. picture cannot tell you how hard it is. Crystal structure. um, On the atomic size, it would have to be a heck of a camera. That would be a uh, spectrograph. That can look at tiny, tiny fragments of of, uh, minerals and look at them through a spectrum of light to identify what kind of rock they are. That's that's how they do it on Mars and moon and stuff like that. Step-by-step guide on how to identify rocks and minerals with pictures. They say gather pictures of rocks and minerals, uh, get books, use your own pictures. If you have access to samples, that's a good thing. Buy yourself uh, mineral samples. Go to your local museum and look at the local rocks and minerals that are there. You can compare with those, you could take pictures of them, right? Um, and then make an educated guess. Now, also, there is um, apps. Now, I have not used them. I thought about it. None of them are free. They all cost money. But there are apps, and I've, I've read on the reviews that some people say they're okay. Some people say they're garbage. Um, you know, I'm sure it's it's better than nothing, you know? I'm sure it helps somewhat. Now, if you want to look at how to identify rocks and minerals and you'd like pictures or video, go to my YouTube account, uh, Radical Rocks. We're the only ones that's probably going to pop up. And you go to one of our earliest videos. And I've got where we go through buckets of rocks and we identify them. using hardness by using texture by looking at streak in some cases um, and things like that and i show you some easy ways to do that and distinguish them okay Um, yeah any other features or differences that you see from rocks can help you identify them Um, yes the shape the form all those things can help you there are online researches uh resources They recommend here Mindat.org, which I think is great. Mineralogy for Kids, the number four, uh, will give basics. There's reference books. You can go, books are very expensive, but you might try going to a used bookstore um, or buying them used on uh, perhaps eBay or OfferUp or something like that. And then there is the mobile apps that I talked about, which I think is pretty cool. Um, You can look up different ones they say one popular one is Rockhound. And uh, I think it was like 2 dollars or something. Um, maybe I'll buy that sometime and try it and then let you know, do a review on it. Or maybe I'll just uh, email them and see if they want to have us review it. So those are some of the ways that they recommend. Like I said, um, I think the video that I have is a lot better on that. And we have talked about ways of doing that now knowing the difference between rocks and minerals this is the same um, the same website L-I-H-P-A-O.com, and it's just the articles only attributed to happy share and they have um, introduction to rocks talking about how people have always been interested in them comparing the characteristics of rocks and minerals so Do rocks have minerals in them? Definitely. That's what gives them their color, right? But rocks are not minerals necessarily, okay? Rocks can have minerals in them. Rocks can be uh, mined as ore and processed to get the minerals out. But uh, there's a difference between the two. Physical and chemical properties, crystal structures, compositions of rocks and minerals So the physical properties of rocks and minerals are very different. Rocks are generally larger than minerals, ranging from pebbles to large boulders. Very hard, maybe smooth, maybe rough, depending on what kind of rock. Minerals, usually smaller in size, microscopic grains to gemstones, and they can tend to be harder than rocks, although they can also be quite soft. Rocks are made up of one or more minerals so they can have a variety of chemical properties. Minerals, however, are composed of only one type of element or compound which gives them distinct chemical properties. For example, quartz is composed of silica dioxide which gives its unique hardness and glass-like luster. Of course, it can be influenced by minerals and be a different color. Crystal structures, rocks don't have crystal structures, Minerals do. This means atoms in a mineral are arranged in a repeated pattern giving symmetrical structure. The structure of a mineral can tell us a lot about the properties and even help in identifying it. Exploring the compositions of rocks and minerals um, are the mineral composition is two types: element or compound. Compound mineral elements include oxygen, silica, or silicon. Uh, Calcium and iron, compounds such as quartz, which again is silicon dioxide, and calcite. Uh, Calcite is calcium carbonic and also common minerals. Now rock composition, on the other hand, is one or more minerals as well as other materials such as organic material like clay, um, bones maybe, trees, things like that. Igneous rocks are formed by the cooling and solidification of molten magma, and sedimentary rocks are formed when sediments are compacted and cemented together. Metamorphic rocks are formed when existing rocks are subjected to high pressure and high temperature. So when you examine the different types of rocks and minerals, this is what we got. We got igneous rocks. They're formed when molten magma cools magma, cools, and solidifies, and they're based on their texture and composition. Some examples of this are granite, basalt, and pumice. Then we have sedimentary rocks. They're formed when sediments such as sand, silt, and clay are compacted and cemented together. Examples of common sedimentary rocks include sandstone, limestone and shale, marble, and others. Metamorphic rocks are formed when existing rocks are subjected to high heat and pressure. Examples of common metamorphic rocks include marble, slate. Um, I know um, uh, garnets are a metamorphic rock as well, um, although they do form in pegmatites too. Common minerals include quartz, feldspar, mica, auveline, uh or olivine, calcite, Uh, Each has their own characteristics, such as color, hardness, and crystal structure. Now, examining how they form, the rock cycle, um, of course, igneous rocks, they form over time. Uh, Molten lava happens. Sedimentary rocks form by compaction, so they could be at the bottom of the ocean and then rise up out of the ocean. They could be forced underground. Metamorphic rocks form from existing rocks that are subjected to High heat and pressure and minerals come from the crystallization of molten magma. The precipitation of dissolved elements in water and other conditions can help them form, such as temperature, pressure, and the presence of other elements. So, of course, rocks are used in our everyday life. We couldn't build. We couldn't even wear clothes. We will have nothing modern without rocks and minerals. Everything comes from the ground. Everything Even your plants and food need rocks and minerals to supply nitrogen and the proper minerals and and nutrients, phosphates uh, and things like that that the the farm needs to grow the plants or the plants will die. Um, Rocks are used in construction. They're used in uh, industry uh, for limestone. It makes cement and steel. Uh, Gibson's made for drywall. Copper and gold used in electrical and electronic computers, things like that. Rocks and minerals also used in construction. Sand and gravel for concrete. Crushed stone for road base. Marble and granite for countertops and flooring. Also jewelry. Rocks and minerals are often made to make jewelry and decorative items. Jewelry such as, or gemstones rather, such as diamonds, emeralds, and rubies are very popular for people's wedding rings and other minerals such as turquoise, malachite, Lapis lazula are made to make ornamental um, things. So understanding the rock cycle, the difference between rocks and minerals, hopefully will make you a better rock hound and uh, encourage you to do a little more research and read the beginning of those books where it talks about that so that you can uh, bring your level of knowledge up to a higher level. We talked about the significant dinosaur discovery in Colorado, so, I have that's a duplicate. This is the crown, the Force for Good crown. Uh, it is the Miss Universe crown. Jewelrybusiness.com tells us sapphires, diamonds adorn Miss Universe crown. This is a 45.14 carat uh, giant sapphire that sits on top of this year's Miss Universe crown. It represents goodness and hope for a brighter future, says the designer. It's dubbed a Force for Good crown. It has 108.44 carat sapphires total weight and 48.12 carat white diamonds. The crown is valued at approximately $5.75 million and looks like uh, rippling waves symbolizing change, they say. Um, And a gradual momentum. Beautiful, beautiful crown. Um, And you can see it there if you want. And I don't see anybody credited with this article. Next. What are igneous rocks? We kind of talked about that, so I think I'm going to pass on this. But uh, there is an article on what is igneous rocks in some detail at a-zanimals.com. Just look up what are igneous rocks and Andrew Wood will go into greater detail about igneous rocks. I like igneous rocks um, because you know that uh, there's a lot of really neat ones to go collect as we have talked about already. Mysterious living rocks of Romania. The bizarre Trovent stone gives birth to new stones growing by up to two inches every thousand years. Now, I read this and I was just really amazed that these stones actually grow. I thought they're not growing, they're getting pushed up out of the ground, or the sand beneath them is getting washed away. But it says no. These stones in Romania are naturally formed by a geological process, and they get bigger. These stones are mainly composed of a stone core surrounded by a sand shell. Minerals in the rain form a reaction within that builds pressure and makes them grow. Jonathan Chadwick for Mail Online tells us this at dailymail.co.uk, tells us all about it. And they've got several different pictures of these stones. Um, One of them looks like a person kind of laying face down on the ground almost. has a head and shoulder, and um, they get quite rounded. They are mostly a hard stone core surrounded by sand that forms the shell, and they grow slowly in the presence of rainwater. Minerals in the rainwater, which I always thought rainwater didn't really have any minerals in it, form a reaction that... uh, builds pressure inside, making them grow and multiply. Um, this area is the Romanian visu- uh, village called estia about 50 miles from the capital of Budacres. And they look like brown bubbles made of rock and very greatly in size, some spanning several feet in diameter, some small enough to fit in the palm of your hand which maybe if you hold them long enough, you can feel them grow, I don't know, I doubt it. Um, So the ages, they go back to the beginning of time, apparently, you know, that's very uh, subjective there. They've got several different pictures of them. Some of them are balanced up on top of sand. And um, it says, the minerals in the rainwater form a reaction within that builds pressure inside. I guess there's nitrogen inside rainwater, right? Um, because of the lightning. Lightning Lightning-enriched rain, I think, has nitrogen. Um, It makes the rock grow and multiply. Much like the rings that make up the girth of trees, these trovents reveal layers when cut into, each representing a period of growth. Although not alive in the scientific sense, locals and tourists alike have described them as living because of the way they appear to change with time. Now, this isn't the only area where the living stone, the, the Trovent stones, are found. Um, They're found all over Carpathian area of Romania. So there, there is more than one area. Crazy. But these are the ones that are most well-known and have the largest diameters. They're spherical and egg-shaped. Many of them have twinned and formed complicated forms. Very interesting. Some of them are smaller spherical um, shapes, but uh, just it says they are placed in yellow, fine, medium, coarse sands containing also fine gravel. That's where they find them. So, pretty cool there. The living stones of Romania. Now, let's see. We're going to talk about blue gems. We're going to talk about, um, I've got a gold mine here to talk about too. Let's maybe. I'll look up, uh, let me see if I can find the gold mine here before I lose it. It was supposed to be on, where was it? It was the Hodge gold mine, and I have it listed here. I couldn't keep, I couldn't put everything on the screen. I had so much. I think, ah, here it is. Okay, great. I'll save that for last. Um, Let's see, what do we got? We got, okay. Our friends at the Orange Belt Mineralogical Society, San Bernardino, California, United States of America, are putting on a trip for the 28th of January to go get beautiful strawberry onyx at the Bristol Mountain area in the Mojave, or maybe it's Death Valley Desert. Yeah, no, Mojave Trails, Mojave Desert. Um, You can email... Um Gregory V I D L E R at Gmail.com if you want to go. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the Bristol Mountains as much as I can. Um, this area, let's see. Where is it? What do I got here? I got some junk that popped up. I don't even know what the heck. Oh, this is the blue minerals. Okay, nope. Here it is. Here it is. This area, the Bristol Mountains, if you move along the Mojave Trails region, an excellent rock hounding and invertebrate fossil collecting location is in the rock formations along the Bristol Mountain. I don't know if they'll be going there, but those are something you keep your eye out. Locals say the region is ideal to collect strawberry onyx, agate, and jasper on most days. The main digging location has vast amounts of boulders, as a commercial mine was once housed at the site. Keep in mind um, to have all your information ready before you go. Check out the website. Um, email Gregory if you want to go on this trip, and you can be guided right to the area. Some of the old mining books might have that location. Um, be selective in what rocks to take back because they've closed off a lot of the area. You might be doing some walking. Uh, It says there could be a two-mile trek back to your parked vehicle. So I don't know if they've gotten permission to drive in closer, but uh, you will have to find out. This rock is uh, beautiful with uh, strawberry uh, bands going through it, laced. It is laced. It is a laced onyx. It's a softer onyx. It's not a true um, hard, hard onyx. It's more like a calcite onyx. onyx and uh, it takes a polish, good, real good, and uh, it works quickly. It's easy to work with and you can make spheres. You can make, you know, all sorts of items, jewelry. It makes beautiful cabochons and uh, decorative display pieces are are quite easy to find. I have quite, I have a, a good chunk of it myself. So let's take a look at some blue gemstones blue gemstones rock and roll and mineral shows across Montana and Idaho um oh you know what this isn't about blue this is about um what is the most popular gemstones i think for a state i think that's what this is let's see i might have lost it huh now this is talking about gem Yeah, I think I actually lost. Let me see. Huh. Yeah, there was another article, but I lost it. Well, we're moving on, moving on. Um, Blue Gems and Mineral List. Our friends at Rock and Gym, you can go to rockandgym.com. You can subscribe to their email updates. I would recommend getting their magazine, but Blue Gems are beautiful. Um, Most people love the color blue, especially when it comes to gemstones. And they are in the spotlight. Let's see here. I don't see who gets credited for this article. Um, Helen Saris Herman originally um, wrote about this in Rockin' Jim quite a while back. But she is the one accredited to a lot of this information here. They have a list, blue gems and mineral list, um, book, I guess, that's been published that if you want to find out about that, you can look that up. But in 2020, Classic Blue States, um, it says here, description for Classic Blue States instilled calm, confidence, and connection with the color blue. Okay, whatever. Um, it is influenced by fashion trends in clothing, textiles, furniture, and home decor, decor as uh, far as also the runways, Uh, the stores, and all of this good stuff. People are into blue right now, according to this. Classic blue transparent gemstones. The best option, if you can afford it, would be blue sapphire. Other blue gemstones that fit the shade, blue spindle, blue tourmaline. I love blue tourmaline. There's dark blue tourmaline that is really something. Once it's faceted, blue gemstones... um, can be very different from one another. So there's a difference in cabochoning them. Azerite suns from Australia exhibit a radiating structure and beautiful texture with high ridges. This is not a crystal um, form, although Azerite does form in crystals. Um, it says here, the Gemological Association of Great Britain... Jim A recently set up a blue stone detective challenge featuring eight blue gemstones, along with flashcards. There's hints on luck on the luster, the refractive index, um, and other properties. The eight blue gemstones were blue sapphire, glass, blue spinnel, blue synthetic spinnel, iolite, blue topaz, and zircon. The challenge was a great. Reminder of how difficult it is to visually identify faceted blue stones without clues or instruments. Um, Opeak gems. One is azurite. Man, azurite. I love azurite. Uh, rich colors of azurite. Lapis lazula. That's another beautiful blue gemstone. They're both very ancient and timeless gemstones that have been used for many, many, many years. Uh, millennials for pigments, uh, pigmentations, to grind for personal adornment, miros, and also using the uh, lapis lazula for making uh, basins and, and v- different objects, carvings, and things like that. Azerite's a deep blue color in its pure form, and uh, Azerite crystals form as dark blue prismatic crystals, More commonly, azurite is found as a massive nodule or uh, stalactite form, very soft, 3.5 to 4 on the hardness scale. Stunning azurite crystals come from copper mines worldwide, deposits in Morocco, Nambia, Hungary, Greece, Mexico, and of course Arizona and other states in the southwest. Um, And if azurite has been siliconized, it can be very hard, very, very hard. Siliconized chrysocolla can be, you know, Six and a half, seven on the hardness scale. It's really, really durable. Um, people who love lapidary, lapidaries use Azurite in various forms. However, you can buy it. It can be cut, sliced, and polished. I've got several videos where I've worked on Azurite um, uh, mixed with uh, chrysocolla and things like that. If you want to check that out. I've got some Bitrudel Azurite listed for sale, I think, on Etsy. Very, extremely rare Um, slab of azurite from Israel. The Bisbee and uh, other area copper mines in Arizona are known to be the most solid and most sought after azurite historically here in the United States, but it can be found in many other countries as well. Um, Azurite can show a rosette structure of tiny prismatic crystals moving around in different directions on the on the surface, or it can be like a druzy material. Um, yeah, you wouldn't wanna mess with crystals. You wouldn't wanna to try to polish those uh, if they are azurite, you wanna leave those alone. Even if they're little tiny crystals, they would be spectacular. Um, the Milpas Mine in Sonora, Mexican is, is mined out, but still specimens are out there on the market that you can buy of this beautiful material. Azurite Suns from Australia, at the uh, Malbunka Copper Mine, western Aranda County uh, and Northern Northern Territory areas exhibit radiating structures and beautiful texture with high ridges around the edges. A lot of times azurite is with malachite uh, or a pseudomorph um, which can have spectacular sunburst or druzy there's a material called the bluebird m- mineral, which is a, uh, really a chrysocola, but it is very big blue blotches here and there of azurite within it. That, that's why they call it bluebird. And the, the green is almost a malachite. So it's a really high-grade, beautiful, um, still sometimes called chrysocola, but it's really azurite and malachite. Let's see. Also, Nambia is a wonderful place where blue um, puritocyte is found, a form of chalcedony embedded within fibers. Um, wow. It can do a uh, cationci or a cat's eye with a, just like a tiger's eye, but uh, made of chalcedony and uh, azurite in, in these forms. It was discovered in 1962 by Sid... Uh, Piotr's in Nambia, and therefore it, it shows his name. It has blue coloration, swirls of brown, gold, and rusty red hues are also possible. So there you go. There's some blue gemstone. Herkimer Diamonds, again, our friends from Rock and Jim. Um, you can read about that. I've plugged their magazine many, many times. Uh, our friends, and I've done Herkimer Diamonds recently, I believe. Um, LA. Sokolowski tells us about this in a story once written but now been put online for us all to read about these beautiful crystals. Some of them are perfectly clear. A lot of the best ones have been picked through, but um, you can go pick this up. It's an igneous rock. Double terminated crystals are uh, very, very, very well found. There's floating pockets and vugs that can be found. Uh, There's a pay-to-dig site there. You just look it up online. You can go dig that up. Mohawk people referred to themselves as the people of the crystals because of this area, of these crystals found in this area. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Double terminated crystals have also been found in Arizona, Afghanistan, China, Norway, and Ukraine. But... Cannot be called Hercamirs. Amethyst versions have been found in Mexico and Tanzania. Herkimer diamonds share many phys, uh, physical properties attributed to quartz, um, but they are not uh, actually quartz. Some of them can be dark and sooty. Um, this is inclusions of salt water, petroleum, gaseous inclusions of carbon dioxide, or even other minerals like dolomite or tinker Hercs can also be found within them. So it it's not tinker. I think it's tinier. My glasses are kind of dirty. Yeah, tinier. So you can find actually where you look in a crystal, and it looks like there's another crystal inside. So a crystal within a crystal is usually how they they verbalize that. So uh, yeah, it's kind of a dolomite uh, mineral that is formed, and um, like I said, they're very crystallized, very shiny, and beautiful. If you wanna. Look those up. Um, Ultimately, pick your own. Digging for crystals. Um, Here's some resources to help you find them. Um, They don't really tell you. (laughs) Uh, I don't see it. Digging for them. Let's see. Sorry, I'm getting tired. I know we read about where to get them before. You can look up Herkimer Diamond Digs and find out. Now for our last article, I want to tell you about this gold mine. I love gold mining stories. I love gold mines, if you haven't noticed. I usually save them to the end because I know some people are more more about the rocks. Um, Our friends at Gold Rush Expedition Incorporated uh, you can sign up for their emails. you can go to their website they they even mail out free um, very high quality color magazines. But this is on the email that they sent me the Hodge Gold mineral property. They're asking almost a hundred thousand us dollars for this. It's an eighty acre load gold in Riverside County, California. They've got a picture of it here where there's blue hill uh, hues on the walls. Sometimes a camera kind of distorts the actual color you'd see with your eyes, so I don't put a lot of credence into that, but this was a great area. There was a, a span of, of uh, mines on this 80-acre lot here, the Granddaddy, the Grubstake, and the Hodge Mines, and uh, these were very rich mines in Southern California, and they've been worked for uh, half a millennium for gold. They are primarily a gold mine, um, which is a plus if you're looking for gold. Their property um, in the history stretched back likely all the way to the 1500s. That's going way back. Although records are sparse, it has always been clear Native American or Spanish miners put extensive efforts into retrieving surface deposits of gold on this site. When American settlers located the site in 1823, they noted the presence of ancient wooden mill. To their surprise, the mill contained no nails, no banding, or other implements as would be expected. So it was just puzzle pieced together in such a way that it was very strong. The miners at that time said the mill was extremely old, but built with an amazing amount of skill. Historically, the granddaddy, the grub stake and the Hodge mines have only been worked for native gold, which can be found in the region's wide iron-stained quartz bodies. One report from 1871 confirms that the granddaddy property was producing native gold quartz worth up to $300 per ton. Gold was $20 an ounce. That would be 15 ounces per ton. So just think of that. Um, yeah, that would be uh, about 30000 dollars in gold per ton. That's pretty rich. When the Hodge was originally developed, its audits lacked timbering since they were cut into hard and uh, competent rock. So the rock is very hard. Today, the drift workings are still as intact with little or no collapse. The portholes are dry and gated. The gate would need to be repaired or replaced. Access to the subsurface workings will require a permit for exploration. Quite a history on that area there. They've got some pictures of the quartz. It's just a native quartz with uh, little veinlets in there that look of uh, potentially iron or copper. And the green staining tells me that uh, there's definitely copper in there as well. So really a neat history of gold mining. So guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Sorry for some of my stammering. I do the best I can for you guys. I do a ton of research. I hope you enjoy it. I thank the listeners that have reached out to me um, with comments and things like that. You can get us on social media, on Facebook, on MeWe. Just look up Radical Rocks. Um, until next time, remember, rockhounds don't die, they petrify.